Thanks for listening to this week's episode, Leave It All on the Trail. When we met, Kim loved mountain biking. She would often mountain bike in her hometown in New Mexico growing up and in Colorado. So it was no surprise, not long after we started dating, that I purchased the mountain bike. There is really something to riding a bike out in Mother Nature. And San Diego has a lot of mountain biking trails. Kim would start me off on the flatter wide trails, then some single track, then add some hills, and of course some downhills. It wasn't long that I felt confident and experienced riding on the trails. Eventually, Team Huff, Puff, and Stuff also crossed over to riding dirt trails as well. Kim entered into a few races locally. Her first one was at Big Bear, the Big Bear Rim Race, where she placed third. She didn't really enjoy the racing aspect, so from then on, we just did fun rides and sponsored rides. One time, her and Brenda did this sponsored ride. It was 25 miles, I think. It was from Penasquitas to Escondido and back all through Lake Hodges. Most sponsored fun rides, you get a medal or a shirt, you know, something has the logo on it and the date, something to be proud of. But this one, when they finished, they, they, re- they received a shirt that literally just said, white t-shirt, literally just said the word participant across the chest. Nothing else. No logo, no date. Oh man, we laughed about that one for years. Penasquitas Canyon was one of our go-to rides, as it kind of had a little bit of everything. In the beginning, Kim would lead on the trail and I would follow. One time, we're riding through this area that had some dips in the trail, and for some reason, Kim put on her brakes. And since I was following her, I swerved around her quickly, went off the trail, and as I squeezed my brakes, ended up flipping over my handlebars into this kind of high grass area. I'm on my back, and then I sit up to my butt, and I look at her. A few seconds later, we hear the sound of a few rattlesnake rattles. I can't see them. Kim can't see them. But we can hear them. No idea how close they are to me. Kim puts her bike down, comes close to the edge of the trail by the grass, leans over and puts out her hand. I grab it without moving. We hear the rattles again. Kim says, when I count to three, I'm going to pull you up out of the grass and you need to jump at the same time. And we're gonna get one chance at this. She counts to three pulls me as I jump and I land back on the trail. We hear the rattlers again. I brush off some weeds. We continue on biking. Another time, we were riding up in Cuyamac on the spire road. 
Kim's in front of me. She skidded to a stop, and once again, I swerve around not to hit her, squeeze my brakes, and I go flying over the handlebars again. But this time, I end up in the trail, my head facing downward. And once I slid to a stop, we hear the sound of my water bladder in my backpack burst. It was a psh, and all this water came out from behind my back. It was at that point that we decided that I would start leading on the trails. Kim befriended a group of bike riders who liked to bike ride at night. This is all guys group. So we went and purchased some nightlights. We met them one night at Lake Hodges. Complete darkness. Now, we'd ridden Lake Hodges many times before, so I'm comfortable with the trail. But at night, it is completely different. And well, honestly, it was a bit scary. You just had your headlight, almost like the scene in the TV and movies where you have the dark road and the car lights and all you can see is just that few feet in front of you. You have no idea what's surrounding you. Same thing on a mountain bike. All you have is that little headlamp on your head pointing at the ground. You have no idea if you're coming up on animals, creeks, tree branches, nothing. After a few night rides, Kim and I agreed. It's just not for us. For me personally, I just found it a little too scary. Kim was always finding us mountain bike trail to ride, and often we'd encounter some wild animals. We've seen bobcats, wild turkeys, eagles, coyotes, deer, bears, even cows. We were up here at Warner Springs one time and got lost on a trail. We could see a paved road, but between us and the paved road is a herd of cows. We were exhausted and no way we could go back. So we started riding through the herd. They are mooing, some of them even chasing us a bit. We make it to the bothwire fence next to the paved road, toss our bikes over the fence and trying to climb over this bob wire little fence ended up ripping our shorts and of course falling to the ground. One time Kim found this ride online where we started at a local Indian reservation. We drove into the reservation seeing mostly mobile homes, small homes. It's pretty desolate. Lots of wear and tear on the homes in the area. All of a sudden we come up to this like little tiny makeshift booth on the side of the road. And in the book where Kim found this ride, the directions say you park at the booth, pay a fee, and then you can start your ride. So we park at the booth. We walk up. There's a lady sitting in there. We pay, I don't know, I think it was like $10 each. We get on our bikes. The lady assured us our car would be fine. We're, our car's the only car there. There's nothing else around. And we get on our bike and we start riding. The first part of the trail is paved. And as we're climbing up this paved road, we're noticing the homes are getting a little nicer. And as we enter the dirt part of the road, start following that up the hill, then the homes went from like really nice to almost like McMansions. Very odd. But we kept riding. We ride a few more miles 
and then all of a sudden no more homes. We're in this beautiful landscape areas, trees, you can see forever, right down this road. And then all of a sudden we come across this big metal gate that crosses the road and heads into the trees on each side of the road. And this metal gate must have stood 25 feet high. And as we're sort of pedaling towards it, looking around like this does not look normal, I'm getting this eerie feeling. We're probably 20 feet from the gate. These two men dressed in all black with guns come out from the trees. They yell at us to stop, ask what we're doing here. Kim mentions that we're riding the blah, blah, blah trail. I forget what the name of the trail was that she had found in a writing book. One of the guys says that that trail is no longer accessible and that we need to leave. Yeah, no problem. We turn our bikes around. We start heading back to the car. Kim said she thinks it was some sort of black water military training ground. Who knows? I just know that they obviously sunk a lot of money to that reservation by the looks of those houses. If you're into mountain biking, then you know that Moab is the Mecca. We've always had it on one of our biking bucket lists. So one year, Brenda, Kim, and I head to Moab. Of course, we go in the summer so that it's hotter than Hades. We literally wake up that morning at 6 a.m. to hit the beginner trail, and it's already 85 degrees. Although hot, it's still really beautiful. You're literally riding on these big rocks that you see for miles. We're cruising along on the beginner trail, and it's starting to get a little technical. Some places we even had to get off and push our bikes. I mean, I don't mind crashing on dirt, but no way was I going to crash on rock. It's getting hotter. We're getting further out. We stop for a water break. My face is red. Kim's face is red. It's now over 100 degrees, and it's only like 8 a.m. We start riding back, and Kim's getting a little dizzy. I'm getting a little dizzy, so we're stopping. Now, the normal thing would be to find some shade, but there is none. You are on rock. There's no trees. There's no bushes. It's direct sun on rock for as far as you can see. So we rest, we drink, and then we ride a little more. We come across this little bush, maybe, maybe three feet high. No, not even that, two feet high. I mean, not even higher than my waist. And it's casting this little tiny bit of shade. We were so desperate. <laughs> Kim and I laid down with just our heads in this little spot of shade. And we laid there probably for a good half hour just to not have the sun shining on our face. We get up, we wet our heads, we wet our shirts, drink some water, we start riding again. We make it back to the start. You know, it's funny, we thought we were actually really good mountain bike riders at that time. 
But boy, were we humbled by the beginner trail at Moab. We checked that right off the bucket list. We mountain bike mammoth for a few years. And if you already heard the story of how I almost impaled myself on my birthday on that ride. However, one of our favorite rides at Mammoth is called Uptown Downtown, which rides from the town of Mammoth all the way up to the Mammoth Lodge. It's a single track and you cross creeks and wood bridges and tree stumps. I love it. It's super fun. Some, it could be some places a little technical, but we just love that ride. One time on that ride, my tire went flat. I hit something funny and it, you could hear the, the tube pop. We were off on the side of the trail, and as I was trying to change out the tube, now the trail is just surrounded by trees. So you can see around, but I mean, not too far off into the distance because it's a pretty wooded area. And we hear this loud bear growl. I mean, it is so loud. It's as if it was like next to us. We froze. We're kind of trying to look around but I'm not seeing it. Kim's not seeing it. We hear the rustling in the brush, you know, the bushes of the, you know, the trees right near us. We slowly get on our bikes. Now, mind you, I have no tube in my tire on my bike. It's my back tire, so it's completely flat. Tube flat on the ground. But with no tube, we slowly start riding. We're looking around, looking around. Don't see a bear come out. So we start pedaling faster, faster, just to get away. And my rim is hitting everything you can think of. Ding, 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 ding. Making this noise. Dun, 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 dun. I trashed my rim when we got to the bottom of that ride. But it was worth it because we did not get chased by a bear. Another time, Kim found this trail out on the outskirts of Joshua Tree National Park on the Cottonwood Springs side. Kim, Brenda, and I start out from this visitor center, start riding on some fire roads up and down the mountains, then around the Strike Creek bed. But in the Strike Creek bed, it has really soft sand. I mean, just like you were at the beach walking on the sand. Have you ever tried riding your bike through beach sand? It's not easy, especially if you're not as light as Kim. Needless to say, Brendan and I, we just sank. We ended up pushing our bikes for about a mile or two when we saw this Jeep full of folks. They stopped to ask if we needed some help. Turns out we were lost and they pointed us in the right direction. They said, if you keep going this way, you'll run into the 10 freeway. We knew that if we headed that way and we did see the 10 freeway, that at some point there has to be a trail that would parallel the 10 and that could take us back to the visitor parking. Where our car was parked. Seemed simple enough. We started off on the road they told us. And sure enough, in the distance, we could see the 10 freeway. Now, by this time, we've been riding in the blazing hot sun. It's past noon. We haven't eaten much. Our energy's just getting zapped. Plus, again, no shade anywhere. We keep riding almost to the 10 freeway, thinking, thank God, we're almost there. And then we see this pole line trail that parallels the freeway. 
great. We start to head down that pole line trail, but it is completely made of soft sand. And as I've mentioned, Brenda and I don't float, we sink. Looking at the freeway, which is half a mile in front of us, I could tell that we're several miles from the exit to the Joshua Tree, which means this pole line trail is a few miles. So we decided as a group that Brenda and I would go ahead for the 10 freeway underpass, sit in some shade, and Kim, since she floated, would ride this trail it's a couple miles, we figured it wouldn't take her long, back to the car, and then she could come get us on the 10 freeway. Well, after about two hours of waiting, Brenda and I are getting really nervous. We're walking up top side of the 10 freeway, not seeing Kim, getting really, really worried. And then Kim finally shows up to rescue us. We ask, what happened? She said that the dirt trail was so soft and deep that she did not float either. She ended up having to push her bike the whole way to the car. Once we got on the freeway, the first stop we saw on the outskirts of Palm Springs was an In-N-Out burger. We ordered double doubles with fries and ate that like locusts. Chalk it up to another adventure for Team Huff Puff and stuff. When it comes to mountain biking, the Leadville 100 is like the Academy Awards to an actor. This 100-mile mountain bike race starts in the town of Leadville, Colorado. Another thing that makes this bike ride famous is that Leadville is in the highest town altitude-wise in the United States. To enter the Leadville 100, if you're not a professional mountain biker, is done by lottery. Kim brought up this race to Team Huff and Puff one year, and we decided we should enter. We all agreed, why not? I mean, honestly, what are the chances of us getting selected? Kim and I have always had bad luck, never won anything, even in bingo, we've never won. So we entered. Well, guess what? Yep, we were selected. Holy crap, a 100-mile mountain bike ride that starts over 10,000 feet in elevation. We didn't know if we would make it, but we were going to try. The one issue, though, of course, is the altitude. How do we train here in San Diego or even in Southern California? or even in the state of California. We started off with distance, trying to get time in the saddle, slowly adding hills. Kim had the idea that we would go mountain bike up Mount Baldy. Now, for those of you who have hiked Mount Baldy, you already know this hike is hard. Completely nuts, but we did it. We mountain biked all the way to the ski lodge of Mount Baldy. Could not go any further. But, Kim being Kim, we thought, well, we're already this far. Let's just hike to the top. And that's what we did. We locked up our bikes and in our little 
mountain biking shoes and our little tight spandex shorts, we hiked to the top of Mount Baldy, back down to the ski lodge, and then we mountain biked back to the car. We trained as hard as we could for the Leadville 100, and then the time came. We drove to Colorado for the race. Kim, the week prior, had to fly to Washington, D.C. to meet with some politicians over some education framework thing. The plan was she would fly from D.C. to Denver, and we would pick her up on the way to Leadville. While in D.C., Kim was hospitalized with a cold that moved into her chest, which caused a severe asthma attack. She was in the hospital for two days. She gets out, finishes her trip to D.C., flies to Denver. Brenda, Mitchie, and myself, we drive, pick her up in Denver. We all head to Leadville. We arrive two days early so we can acclimate. We rented a cabin for us to stay in. Leadville is just beautiful, but the air is thin. The night before the ride, they have this huge spaghetti dinner for everyone, you know, to load us all up on carbs. The way the ride works is the first time cutoff is at 25 miles. If you don't make it within a certain time, they take you off the trail. Our goal would be to at least make the first time cutoff. You have a total of 12 hours to complete this entire 100-mile race. The race starts, and we're doing great. Kim takes off. We never see her again. Brenda and Mitchie and I are just cruising along. We're about 22 miles in, almost to the cutoff, when we hit the pipeline part of the trail. It's very technical downhill, and this part has a lot of spectators on it. I'm in front of Mitchie. We come around this corner and my front tire slides out from in front of me. I hit the ground hard, then just start sliding down the trail. I come to a complete stop. Mitchie comes up on me, moves me and the bike out of the trail so others could pass. I thought I broke my shoulder. It was in so much pain. I couldn't even lift my arm. I had road rash all down my legs and arms. My shorts are ripped. My shirt is ripped. Nothing I can do but get back on the bike and ride to the cutoff, which is a couple miles away. We make it to the cutoff after the time, so we're pulled from the trail. Mitchie and I were never so happy. They see me and tell me to go to the medical tent. You know those pesticide sprayers? where it's like the bucket on the ground and then they have this hose that comes up to like this long spraying thing. Well, they took one of those full of hydrogen peroxide and sprayed it up and down my body. I was screaming in pain. Then they took this plastic sponge that kind of looked like a bird's nest and rubbed it all up and down my arms and legs to clean out the dirt and the rock and the pebble from the road rash. Oh man, it hurts so bad. Then they sprayed me again. They wrapped my arms and legs in this gauze that made me look like a mummy. I walk, I walk out of the medical tent and Mitchie is laughing her ass off. We checked and of course Kim had made it through the time check so she was on her way to the next time cutoff. 
I think that was at like 40 miles. Brenda, we knew, was behind us, so we waited for her. We asked, how do we get back to the start? We assumed there was some sort of shuttle van or vehicle. Oh, no. They said we had to ride back, but sent us on the paved road, so it was just a few miles away. We head back, and we find Mitchie's vehicle. We decide to get in and to go find Kim at the next cutoff. Cheer on. As we're driving, we see Kim on the paved road. Unfortunately, she didn't make the second cutoff. We were exhausted, hungry, and I was in pain. That night in the cabin, we went to bed. Now this cabin has two rooms on the first floor and a loft with steep stairs up to it. The cabin was cute old, the wood front porch, you know, that long wood front porch, had this old kind of like thin window glass, you know, like you see in the old days. Our window in our bedroom faced the front porch, and it was also next to the front door. Kim and I are sound asleep, and then we hear it. It's a very distinct sound, the sound of bear claws on a wooden porch, then we hear that loud sniffling around the window. Then it hits us. We left a bunch of food out in the living room in the kitchen. Then you hear the nails on the front door scratching. We crawl out of bed into our bedroom door, loudly whispering, Brenda, Mitchie, bear, there's a bear. We see Brenda tiptoeing to the living room and kitchen, trying to put the food away. Mitchie is high up on her loft, telling us to come to her. So this way, if the bear breaks in, at least all we have to do is, you know, block the stairs. Eventually, we hear the bear walk down the porch, and then, boom, we don't hear the claws anymore. The next morning, we are a bit stressed as we couldn't remember if we had removed all the food out of the vehicles. Thank goodness we did. We were all really proud of ourselves for what we accomplished in that race. Well, except for Kim. Yeah, she was in the hospital a week earlier, and she didn't make it further than any of us. But she really felt like there was unfinished business. Not a month later, they have the Leadville 50, which is 50 miles. No lottery. Kim really felt she could have finished that Leadville 100 or at least made it to the 50 miles. So she signed up. I, of course, had no interest in doing that again, but I told her I'd be very happy to support her. So a month later, we found ourselves in Leadville again and Kim at the start line for the Leadville 50. Now, this race didn't follow the same course as the Leadville 100. As a matter of fact, when you look at the course map, it looks like three upside-down snow cones. Yes, that tall of climbs. It was 25 miles out and back. The plan was I would meet her at the first cutoff, which was around mile 15. She starts off. I head to the mile 15 cutoff and aid station. I'm there and she comes rolling in. 
She is not in the front of the pack or the back of the pack, but more in the middle. She gets off her bike, hugs me, and starts crying. She tells me how hard it is, that she is miserable, and she wants to quit. I told her, absolutely. I'll put the bike in the car, and we'll go. However, I told her I didn't want her to regret it. I encouraged her to continue, and that at the turnaround, we can see how she's doing. Remember, unfinished business. She gets back on her bike and takes off. I head to the 25-mile turnaround. I'm standing there waiting for Kim. This man comes riding up, drops his bike, runs into his wife's arm, and just starts crying. He's saying, I'm done, I'm done. Then a few more guys show up. Two of them get in a spat. One wants to quit, the other one doesn't. Time passes, more riders are showing up. Another guy is crying. This one guy has blood dripping off his elbows and knees. He quits. I've never seen so many grown men crying before. More time passes. No riders are showing up. The last rider, it'd probably been about 45 minutes. I'm getting really worried. Kim is wearing this neon yellow jacket. And in the far distance, I see it. I'm watching her pedal slowly, but she's moving. She's getting closer, closer. We make eye contact. I knew she was done. She pulled up to me, dropped her bike, fell to the ground, and says, I'm done. I sit down next to her, pull her close to me, holding her. I tell her how proud I am of her and that she should be really proud of herself. After that, we found absolutely no reason to be mountain biking more than 15 miles. We still wanted mountain biking to be fun. After Kim's cancer diagnosis, I knew it was only a matter of time before she found a way to get back on her mountain bike. I took her to Mission Trails on the flat dirt area, and she tried to ride, but could barely go even a half mile. I remember that look she had on her face. She was heartbroken. She was determined to still move and to still ride. There was no way she was going to let cancer win this battle. During a chemo treatment, she started searching the internet and found a way she can convert her mountain bike to an electric mountain bike. She was excited. The conversion kit arrived, I installed it, and I took her to that same flat dirt trail in Mission Trails for her to try it out. A little week from the treatment, she slowly got on, and then bam, off she went. She shot out like a cannon. She is riding by me, laughing, smiling, happy. She bought herself new mountain bike shorts, shirts, socks, and shoes, all matching. She would get dressed in them, and we would go ride. Her bald head under her helmet, it made her feel alive. We found ourselves riding in mission trails almost every other day. Only if it was for just a mile, she wanted to be out on that trail. On the good days, 
she would end up riding six miles. Six miles. She was gaunt, bald, chemo treatment, radiation treatment. But she looked forward to getting on that mountain bike and riding. And then, of course, we would come home and she would be spent for the rest of the day. It took everything out of her. She could barely move. But her philosophy was she wanted to leave it all on the trail. And she did. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the show if you like it. Recommend it to your friends who may need a laugh, some motivation, or just want to hear about our love story. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Kims Until Death Do Us Part. Until next time, go out and live. You have fun, you have lived, and you are loved.